Hi, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Thursday, October the 1st. Coming up, Toronto City Council passed more restrictions on restaurants. This is to stem the spread of COVID-19. We'll speak with John Sinopoli of SaveHospitality.ca about his reaction to the new rules. And Facebook has made good on their promise to integrate Facebook Messenger and Instagram. But before you opt in, Adam Oldfield, our 640 tech expert has a warning for you. Yesterday, York police uh, made dozens of arrests and seized millions of dollars in cash and, and property uh, as they busted a high-end illegal casino in a Markham mansion. The operation was called Project Endgame. I love that. Casino, Endgame. I'd like to be the person that gets to name the operations for the police forces out there. But right now, let's talk about the details. Andy Pattenden, York Regional Police, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for being here. So how long were you investigating these guys, and was it part of a larger ring of uh, gambling houses? Well, this project uh, began in May of uh, 2020 when we received some information of uh, possible gaming that was taking place at that uh, that mansion that everybody saw yesterday at uh, 5 de Courcy Court in Markham. And, uh, you know, that is information that came to us from the, the community as well as our frontline officers who were seeing significant number of vehicles and traffic uh, at this residence. And for those who are familiar with the area, it's just off of Major Mackenzie Drive in Markham. It's a very visible location from the major roadway. Uh, so the information came to us that they thought there was some suspect activity going on there, and that's when we looked into it further. And uh, sure enough, uh, found that there was uh, that house was not lived in. It was just uh, basically a giant casino that was being run, uh, you know, right off of a major road in Markham. Right. Who was charged? So, so far in this investigation at the house, when the warrant was executed, we arrested a number of people, but there was uh, 29 people who've been charged uh, just in relation to the gaming that was going on at that location. But uh, this has obviously uh, spurred on a much larger investigation, an ongoing investigation into uh, organized crime and illegal gaming. And, uh, you know, there have been other warrants that have been executed across the GTA where we're finding similar type things where, uh, in a lot of cases, commercial units are being turned into gambling sites, um, some houses, uh, not all as opulent as the one uh, that we, we were talked about yesterday. Uh, and in fact, some of them are just in absolute squalor where they have, uh, you know, video gaming machines set up and they're uh, feeding the people that are in there uh, methamphetamine to keep them awake and gambling um, to just drive every ounce of money they can out of them. Andy, was this going on pre-COVID or do you think that the fact that legal casinos have been closed plays into the demand for underground gambling? Because what you just illustrated or or told us about there, that scene doesn't sound like a bunch of people that would normally go to uh, casinos on the up and up. Yeah, you know, we think it's a bit of both. Uh, I mean, organized crime is nothing new. Uh, illegal gaming is nothing new. So, uh, you know, some of these operations were probably going on quite a bit of time before before COVID. But COVID's definitely, you know, with the closure of the casinos brought in a new clientele for them. And, you know, organized crime and people in that, in that world are opportunists. So they saw an opportunity with casinos being closed to, you know, exploit uh, members of the community who have money who want to gamble and uh, brought them in. And, and I can tell you, at this at this location, um, the buy-in at the, the tables uh, was very high, minimum ten to $15,000 just to get started, and that's all cash. So um, in the house itself, we did find uh, a gun safe uh, that was loaded with uh, just close to a million dollars in cash. Um, some other things that we found were uh, the wine cellar and the alcohol that was being served, about a million and a half dollars worth of alcohol at that residence and uh, and other things like the firearms 
uh, loaded firearms uh, in locations where um, they were set up to basically defend uh, the property should anyone try and, and get through the gates or try to rob them. Uh, just just tremendous amount of cash, wealth, and illegal activity going on there. Were you operating initially on tips from neighbors, and then did you uh, somehow infiltrate the group? Is I, I mean, I'm just picturing, uh, I'm wanting to know how people would get through that gate. Was it uh, uh, via email invite? How were people invited? Do you know? Yeah, this particular location, it was for the most part invite only. Um, they had armed security inside the gates so that, you know, they were deterring anyone from just coming near the property uh, by by means of, you know, intimidation. So it was invite only. They knew they were, they were bringing in high rollers uh, to, to spend as much money as possible. And I can tell you the operation uh, that we commenced on a search warrant uh, on the night of July 23rd, because of all the fortification at the residence, because of the armed guards, because we had knowledge that there were uh, likely loaded firearms inside of uh, that house, um, and also guard dogs, uh, we brought in as many tactical officers as we could. And if you watch the video that we put out yesterday, you can see a stream of just over 90 tactical officers uh, that were brought in to carry out the operation to execute that search warrant safely and to make sure nobody was hurt. And, And thankfully, they did an amazing job they were able to get in, secure the residents, uh, secure all of the evidence, and uh, secure everybody who was placed under arrest there, uh, all 40-plus of them, and uh, no injuries. Andy, when you talk about uh, evidence, were there any guest lists that you can work off of now, and would there be charges that would uh, be incurred by people that were illegally gambling at these sites? Oh, absolutely. Our, our investigators were there for days afterwards, uh, getting all of the evidence, a lot of documentary evidence, uh, the gaming machines, the alcohol, uh, you know, other things like a full-size stuffed polar bear. Uh, you know, what would they need stuff. that for? You know, it, it's just it's the showing off. It's the opulence of it all, right? And, and uh, I had a chance to walk through that house after the search warrant was executed, and it was unbelievable. I mean, it's just the wealth and opulence in that house. Um, you know, it's what drove the high rollers there. I mean, it was operating as a, you know, a destination, a gambling destination with a spa uh, in it and, and not, uh, you know, a spa where people are getting their nails done. Other things we believe were happening there. Human trafficking. Of it, exactly, which is part of the ongoing human trafficking investigation. Just a lot of, you know, opulence and a lot of illegal activity. And uh, and the combination of it is, is what is ultimately uh, causing violence in our community, which is why we're so tough on this and we'll continue to be tough on it because we know that there's shootings that have been taking place in the GTA as a result of debt collection from places like this that are just trying to get every ounce of money out of people that are attending. Andy, should people who attend lawyer up, talk to the cops? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've been involved in this, uh, the time now is to come forward and talk about it, uh, whether people will. Uh, time will tell, but uh, this is not uh, an end of a project. It's uh, This is just the start of it. And, and our superintendent, Mike Slack, said yesterday, it's time for us to double down now. And, and that's what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we are definitely after illegal gaming and organized crime in York Region. And uh, what we need right now is our community to come forward. People know where these things are happening. Uh, they need to come forward and talk to us about it so we can get them shut down. All right. Andy, I appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. That's Sergeant Andy Pattenden with the York Regional Police talking about that bus yesterday. Uh, City Council voted unanimously yesterday to uh, approve a number of additional measures. They really want to slow 
the recent surge in COVID-19 cases in the city of Toronto. And under the new rules, restaurants once again are going to have to pivot. They will now have to reduce the number of patrons from 100 to 75 and reduce the number of people from uh, at a table from 10 to 6. As well, they're going to have to collect contact information from each patron at the table. I think probably that's something they're definitely willing to do. And uh, lower background music to the level of conversation. Why have it all at all, I ask. John Sinopoli is from the Ascari Hospitality Group. He runs the Ascari restaurants in Leslieville and King West and one of the founders of Save Hospitality. You've heard him on the show many times, and he's back again this morning. John, good morning. Good morning, Kelly. Thanks for having me back. So what's your reaction to these new rules that the city unanimously uh, approved yesterday? Uh, well, you know, to be honest, very few of the rules are introducing new practices. Uh, you know, the major two conditions there are the reduction of uh, the ability to sit 10 people at one table to six and the reduction of the the total number of people in an establishment from 100 to 75 I think that rule is kind of silly uh, because we're already limited by the distance between patrons. You can't have anything less than six feet between patrons. And if you have an incredibly, and if the science says that it's about social distancing and it's about time of exposure and it's about wearing masks when you're not in your bubble, then uh, if you have a massive restaurant and you can fit those uh, more than 100 people or more than 75 people with social distancing i don't understand the science behind that all you're doing is limiting an establishment's ability to make money at that point you're not you're not okay, but making anyone safer so john how many restaurants in the city are big enough to with this social distancing you know accommodate 100 there's, people there's a couple and those couple okay. have norm, those couple of restaurants have ginormous rent that they have to figure mm-hmm. out how to pay even 25% of under the Chekra and who knows what portion of under the new program that may or may not be announced by the federal government in the coming days. So if, if social distancing is the goal, and we agree that it should be, um, and then if you can put plexi, like there's a lot of restaurants that have gone out there and spent tens of thousands of dollars on plexiglass to create separation between tables so that they don't require the, the two meters of social distancing. And then the city turns around and changes the game on them. And all of a sudden that money's thrown in the garbage. Like people are, we're, we're shifting, we're pivoting, we're hustling, we're moving. At the same time, if you continue to change the rules on us and you continue to force us to lose money like that, it, it's, it's incredibly challenging and frustrating. And people just throw their hands in the air and said, I don't know what to do anymore. You spend money based on one set of rules and three weeks later, the rules change. So it it becomes challenging. At the same time, I mean, I think we should give credit to the city and the mayor. Uh, They've, at the same time, they pass those resolutions. They also pass a number of resolutions in support of the industry, uh, both to encourage the provincial government to go after the insurance companies who are gouging restaurants and dropping policies uh, in the time of COVID, as well as uh, encouraging them to extend the, the sale of liquor past. Uh, 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 January 21st, uh, sorry, extend the sale of liquor at the point of sale with takeout, to be specific. That's a huge, uh, Im- important policy that has uh, kept people with their heads above water. And also to encourage the provincial government to provide a wholesale discount on alcohol um, for licensees, which would change our business model and, and, and create some margin for us uh, to make some money during these times of immense reduced volumes. 
So let me just get this straight, John, what you're talking about there with regard to alcohol. It's the fact that, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, is restaurateurs have to buy alcohol at the same price we do from the LCBO. You can't just exactly. buy it in bulk and get a discount. So you're, you got uh, this is what Mayor Tory is asking for, is the ability yeah, to well, buy it at a reduced yeah, we, rate, a wholesale rate. Exactly. We've had this conversation with Mayor Tory, and he, he thinks that it, it makes a ton of sense, and he's basically thrown his weight behind a couple of initiatives that are going to help the the restaurant industry. He understands that his job, number one, is to keep the public safe, but his a job also is to keep the main streets of the city intact. And the only way to do that is to have restaurants, bars, and, and front-facing retail establishments survive. So one way to do that in terms of uh, provincial regulation is to have uh, the province reduce the sales tax for licensees. Correct. We pay more than the everyday consumer out there for alcohol by 6% on average uh, with the current sales tax, liquor tax regime. It's insane. What's the justification for that, John? There is no justification. They have a monopoly. They do what they want. That's a justification. Mm. The LCBO is greedy, and the Ministry of Finance over the years has had no pushback on it because when times are good, the restaurant industry just sucks it up and takes their their licks. But now we can't take it anymore. We can't pay. We spend hundreds of millions of dollars in alcohol every year, and we don't get a discount. It's completely insane. There's no other industry where a wholesale, like reseller of a product pays the same as the retail consumer and is expected to resell that at a profit. Mm -hmm. Can I talk about rent relief? Because it expires today. And I want to know, this this has been a a program that's been criticized since it launched uh, during COVID early days. And it was criticized because, you know, your landlord has to apply for support. So it's not the business, it's the landlord. Even if the landlord wanted to work with the business, apparently the process for application was confusing. It was, uh, it, it, it involved a lot of uh, jumping through hoops. And at the end of the day, it didn't seem worth it. And some landlords worked out a deal with their tenants instead of applying for that. Now we're, we're hoping to have a new kind of rent relief replace this one. But in the meantime, does it matter that the rent relief has expired? Were many restaurants using this? Um, so the uptake on this program was about 30%, we think, in terms of restaurants uh, across the country. So it's hard to measure because, you know, they don't have data that's restaurant specific because the rent relief program was like across all sectors. But they only spent a third of the money they had earmarked for it. And uh, from our like rough surveys, the the number of restaurants across the country whose landlords participated was about 30,000. And there's over 90,000 restaurants in the country. So the program was a disaster. The, mm-hmm. you know, it, was, it was overly onerous on the landlords, not fair to the landlords in terms of all the bureaucracy and hard and work they would have to do. If you were a landlord with 30 restaurants under your belt, you had to apply individually for every restaurant. Um, basically, the program was put together by the Ministry of Finance. And Ministry of Finance, number one goal was to avoid fraud instead of their number one goal being to help small business so right. now the new the new program that is being um put forth and you know hopefully we're going to see details shortly I, we don't have a timeline but we kind of know the structure is that they're going to use the SIBO loan mechanism which was that forty thousand dollar loan that small business could qualify for and get a ten thousand dollar forgivable portion if they paid it back by 2022 so they're going to use that mechanism as a way to issue this money um 
And then when you present your lease to the bank, the bank will forgive whatever portion of rent that the government has agreed to. Um, and that way, basically, we're bypassing the landlords. The tenants are in control of applying for the program and getting the relief. Uh, and, you know, the devil will be in the details when we see this in terms of how much they cover, what, what kind of sliding scale based on last year's sales they're going to use, um, you know, how they're going to do the calculation, and whether they get it out the door fast enough to be effective because we haven't seen it yet. And like you said, rent is due. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily we have one more month of uh, eviction ban in this province, but that'll, that the end of this month will come very quickly. And then we're still going to owe the full October rent unless the program is, is released. There's been no announcement since the throne speech by the federal government as to what they're doing about this program, what the progress is. Uh, the consultation has been minimal again, which caused the issue the last time. They basically, the, the Bean Counters and Ministry of Finance think that they know how to put together a program for small business better than the, you know, 100,000 small businesses out there. So, you know, we're hoping it's not a repeat of history on this one. We're hoping that they get it right. We know that Minister Freeland at least acknowledges the challenges of our industry, which Minister Morneau never did. She understands the sector-specific issues and how vulnerable we are um, during the pandemic, especially now as the weather cools and indoor uh, indoor dining becomes kind of the only option and then more indoor dining restrictions are coming in because of the second wave so it's kind of i want to touch on that if i could john uh the city is also looking for ways to continue cafe to um and extend it into the winter months is that even realistic for most of your members um i don't want to pass judgment without hearing the ideas but off the top of the head it sounds completely unrealistic uh, already people were having issue with being beside traffic, moving traffic. And as you can imagine, um, you know, that was something we had to mitigate with extra structures and plants and planters. I don't understand how on a slushy, snowy, salty, puddly street that anyone's going to want to be outside, even if you could heat somehow unless you build a full enclosure i don't understand how that's incredibly expensive to do i don't know how it's possible but i'm trying to keep an open mind uh, <laughs> try not to be dismissive off the hop uh, and and yeah. uh, kind of l- let's hear what they have to say about it uh, uh, i like the thinking i like the creativity i like the initiative to support and help um you know we think the city could you know help in other ways as well um you know, specifically with, you know, lobbying the federal government for property tax relief programs for, you know, basically, uh, you know, allowing us to to self-regulate a little more and not let a number of bad apples in the industry uh, color the entire industry, which has been incredibly responsible and incredibly responsive to public health orders. John, I want to ask you, I have about 30 seconds with you left here. Um, You know, a lot of locals are trying to support their restaurants. Can the restaurants and, and most of your members in the city of Toronto survive um, with just local support or do they desperately need those, those tourist dollars? Um, that really depends on where you're situated. Uh, you know, a, a lot of restaurants pay really big rent to be in the core, to be near attractions and stadiums, to be near business centers, to be, uh, you know, like where the tourists go, um, it's incredibly challenging for, for, for people. Like we have one restaurant that's in an area that has 
sees more tourists and, and more nightlife. And that's been our most challenging location. The restaurants that are in neighborhoods tend to be more resilient. Neighborhoods tend to be loyal and dedicated and, and, uh, and you know, really, really support their, neighbor, their community. Um, it's a challenge. I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. It really depends on how the government of all levels steps up to aid. I mean, if the federal government has a robust rent relief program where if your sales are at 10 or 20 percent, you basically don't have to pay rent. That's a massive fixed cost that can be covered during the pandemic. The key is that the federal government shouldn't be helping businesses that don't need the help so they can dedicate their resources to businesses who truly need the help. There's no reason why Rogers Communications should have got $25 million in wage subsidy this past summer. There's no reason. That was because the federal government decided to create a blanket program that just covered everybody because they thought that's what was fair. And they wasted hundreds of millions of dollars in wage subsidy to businesses that had no business getting it, whose sales weren't down, who just decided to figure out an accounting way to show that their sales were down in certain departments so that they could claim the wage subsidy where their overall business still profited hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. While the, the, the little guys now, are suffering and being told, well, there might not be enough money in the kitty. So really what they need to do is target those that really need the help and make sure you help them in a significant way, both with the wage subsidy and with with rent relief. And then the provincial government needs to really rethink their liquor law strategy and, you know, do the things that they've claim to do in their platform, which is lower taxes and deregulate the LCBO. That is All right, the, I'm, the success in Ontario. I'm going to leave it at that, John. And I think you've given us a lot to uh, to gnaw on today. I might open up the phone lines and ask about the uh, LCBO and if we should be pivoting to, um, you know, uh, buying our, our alcohol in, in restaurants and if that's a great way to support them and if the government should be on board with that. So thanks so much. It's a way to support your local restaurant. We highly encourage that. I want to uh, talk to you again soon, so we'll uh, line that up. You have a great day. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Cheers. All right, let's turn our attention over to Adam Oldfield. He's our 640 Toronto tech expert. Adam, I don't know about you. I did not watch the baseball game, but what I did do is I perused social media a little bit, and I understand that way back in 2019, Facebook made a promise. They were going to um, uh, and plan to integrate Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram DMs so we could use them um, all the same way. And starting today, they will roll out that platform. What does that mean for people that use Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp? Uh, at this stage of the day, game, I would say continue to use what other chat platforms that you're used to, um, because I, as what you're referencing is the F8 conference, which when they did take all three companies and integrate them into one environment, uh, the whole idea was, hey, we're Facebook, and we're going to take all of these platforms and try to make it a little easier for everyone. The reality is, though, I mean, there's a lot of talk of TikTok. You and I have even uh, had a few uh, discussions on TikTok. Facebook, Instagram is worse. If we're talking about what TikTok does with data, Facebook with its new uh, integration of their chat systems uh, brings a whole new level of what Facebook's going to be able to do with their data. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, are they going to read into it? 
Absolutely. I mean, this is a perfect uh, st- uh, strategy from Facebook's directive is to say we want the Instagram and the messengers to kind of be together. But if we noticed, it's only Messenger and Instagram that they've said if you're updating your apps, you're going to see do you want to now uh, use Messenger as your main communication or do you want to use Instagram? Um, but there's nothing mentioned with this uh, amalgamated merge uh, of the encryption, which is where WhatsApp is kind of out there now as the uh, the ugly step cousin kind of like doing its own thing um but it has the most relevant security feature and that's encryption instagram has been noted as of even this past august that the information you're sending uh communicating it's being monitored uh it's it's tracking facebook is tracking the messages they're tracking the data that you're communicating with your messages so and they've never said with this merger you're gonna feel safer the the information communicated is going to be encrypted it's not so it's Mm -hmm. great that it's easy it's easy to use it's quicker to chat you don't have to uh, am i using messenger am i using instagram to talk to my friends but it's not it's I see this as a hey, it makes it easier for us to collect more data and for advertising. And again, Facebook is about advertising. It's a billion dollar operation that that counts on information that it can read. And if you read the pi- privacy policy, it literally says that. So the news that I hear about this, it sounds almost like, hey, look how quick and easy we made it for us to collect more data about you. Wow. That, that is unnerving to say the very least. So your recommendation is when you get, uh, when you're updating your Instagram or your Facebook and it asks you if you'd like to update your, um, the way you communicate via your messages, choose to opt out. I would say yes. Download signal and find another encrypted communication system that you feel you could be able to talk to your friends uh, or business. Do not. And by the way, I'll say that very clearly, Kelly, do not, if you're in business, Use Facebook for a communication purpose if you're talking about confidential details. Like, Mm. it is very clear. You do not want to be talking about HR concerns, talking about policies within your operation using Messenger or Instagram. And if you are, you need to stop right away because I can tell you it is not safe. Yeah, you know, it occurred to me a while ago that Facebook is now, people look at it like the new telephone. It's like things that you would say on the phone in the past, you're going to say on Facebook. It's, it's ridiculous to me, at least their messenger. Absolutely. It's like the party line where everybody used to pick up the phone and whoever was on it, you'd heard their conversations. It's no secret to anyone that's being said on those units. So, uh, you know, again, I know that Facebook is a platform that's supposed to be a community and they really do use that in their in their policies. Actually, it actually states that the information that's being collected is for the better of the community of Facebook's development and growth. And, you know, that sounds nice and kumbaya ish. At the end of the day, I look at it as we have a lot of private information we use. I mean, we upload our grandmother our puppy dogs licking our ears, uh, you know, long walks on the beach, whatever it is you're putting on Facebook. It's intended to be a community social uh, uh, sharing. And many people think, who cares about what I do in my life? And maybe that's the case. However, that information is still coming at a cost. It is listening. It is listening to the conversation right now. So it's using that data. You know, I want to hit off that. If we could jump off, it is listening. I said something the other day in passing. Adam, and I want you to yep. help out the audience here because I'm sure this has happened to more than a few people. Uh, I said something in passing, and I have two Apple devices. I have an iPhone and I have an iPad, and I don't know right. which one was open. 
Uh, I don't even know if they if they were open, like it might have just been uh, everything was shut down and running in the background. I'm not sure. But later on, on Facebook, on several aggregators, boom, there was uh, an ad for something that I had mentioned offhandedly. Like it shocked me. I'm like, oh, I was just talking about this. Wait a minute. I was just talking about this. That's creepy. How do you turn that off? Well, the first thing is you got to turn your you got to turn your audio permissions off. Um, if you notice when you turn on or you download an app, the first the first time you download it, it asks, do you, you know, are you giving your phone permission to use your microphone? Are you giving your phone permission to use the camera? And this has been one of the things I know Apple and Google have been very diligent with their upgrades and their software uh, uh, adjustments with the new security iOS 14, the new Android 11, is that they force every app to let the user confirm, yes, you can use my microphone. Yes, you can use my camera. So to answer your question, how do you turn that off? Uh, You would have to go to Facebook in your settings uh, on the app. You would have to turn off access to microphone. That's you would need to give that app, which you must have done, because if you're going to, you know, maybe voice record or maybe you chat using Messenger, um, you need to you need to turn those features off within the app so it can stop listening. Okay, uh, this, this, I'm sure we'll talk about this off air one day, but I think I'm going to need you to walk me through that because I'm following those <laughs> steps and I don't see anything about a microphone, which creeps me out. I mean, I actually, I think it's Suri in the background doing some things to me because we have a bad relationship, Suri and myself. I have, I have called her numerous names because she can't get my name right. There's been many, many, many debates in psychiatrist meetings that I know that are having debates about Google. I have Google. Google and I do not get along, by the way, Kelly. So you're not alone in that. As a tech guy, me and Google, I mean, it still references me as animal field. Just so you know, it never gets my name (laughs) right whenever I try to say something. I love that. Um, And I'm sorry to laugh at that, but that's excellent. Okay, so now I'm just reading this article on social media and how um, maybe we should be using it to spread information to uh, the younger segments of society when we talk about coronavirus. Do you think that our health, uh, public health minister in general, not only uh, federally, but provincially and even uh, municipally is missing the boat when it comes to reaching younger people? And if we should be uh, focusing on sharing our message about COVID-19 through social media? One million percent. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I mean, uh, I'm involved as an ad agency where, you know, I deal with different types of companies. And, you know, we're saying if you want that, you know, 14 to 25 demographic these days, you have to use social media. Um, They're not trending towards standard uh, uh, media communications as we're used to. And have they missed the boat? Yeah, somebody's a little behind or not aware of the fact that, you know, uh, it, it is the best platform to communicate to that younger audience um you know and there's i know i I've, I've seen a lot of it where they're trying to you know they make a few youtube videos maybe they they made yeah. a few little ads and they were you know kind of like rolling out and they you know as your facebook was listening it posted the ad um but whatever the point is is making it more aggressive in sort of a, a pr side yes they've completely missed it but you know the demographic of the uh, you know colonials or whatever they're going to reference them now in that age demographic is that you gotta find a way for them to engage you know the one thing i've noticed in in sort of marketing is no one wants to be talked to no one wants to be told this is the way it is and this is what you need to do um you know they need to be the ones engaging they want to the younger generation when it comes to marketing and social media have to be the ones to send the message so where we used to listen to you know uh, sports 
professionals as much as they would endorse a product. It's influencers that are the ones that are changing the message. So, you know, the ones that are on uh, uh, Instagram or on TikTok that have, you know, multi-millions of followers um, that are young demographic because they do some dance routine, um, they're the ones that are going to have the more influence. And we missed how we were able to communicate directly with them. Was it a, a fun COVID dance? Was it a, a, a new routine? You know, uh, if we remember the bucket challenge when that went viral years ago and it, and it helped uh, raise so much money. Um, this is something that they could have utilized and put a little bit of strategic timing and planning into it. And that's tough. It's, I'm not going to say it's an easy, an easy task to do. Um, it's not like, let's start a TikTok account. Okay, there's a million followers. Now they're all going to do what we say. It's a little bit more than that. And as much as I like to think social media is an easy platform to communicate your message, it does take a little bit of strategy to make sure the message is done right. Otherwise, it's going to be falling on deaf ears everywhere. All right. And we need everybody to hear the message about COVID-19 and, and make sure that we curb the uh, spread here. I want to thank you for your time, as always, Adam. And, you know, I think we might have a date post show where you have to walk me through like you're talking to your grandmother on how to turn off the uh, the mic allowance I have allowed to several different features and, uh, and apps on my phone. Thanks so I'd be much. more than happy, Kelly. All right. Have a great have day. Have a great day. That's Adam Oldfield, our 640 Toronto tech advisor, uh, and he's going to be my personal tech advisor in a couple of minutes. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Always a pleasure having you with us. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends that we're doing a podcast and tune in when you can. We broadcast live between 9 and noon daily on 640 Toronto. Have a great day.